I'm stuck. No, you have to do it wrong. <laughs> give us, give us a start. She just has to die. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, this is Julia. Or, I guess I should say, hi everybody, this is Julia. Wow, did it wrong. <laughs> First, <laughs> this is what I was protecting you from. Oh, oh we're, clipping. we're clipping, yeah. Good thing we did a fake intro, so you can do it <laughs> wrong. Um, Alright, yeah, let's try now. Hi everybody, this is Julia. And this is Seth. And we are running out of movies. This week we are talking about The Perfect Storm. Yeah, which I thought, going into it was like a... You're just going right into the analysis. That's, that's amazing. Well, no, I was going to do summary. Right, 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 so right, this right. is, this is I gotcha. my, what I, what I was expecting the summary and then the actual summary. Great, right. Just Let's... like the quick, it's about a storm. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought this was like a commercial disaster movie. Like, I don't know, you know, when like a big ship sinks and then the whole movie is them getting off the ship. Um, or like something like, the, the day after tomorrow. Yeah, you may be looking thing. for more of, well, I actually don't know. I've never seen the original Poseidon Adventure, but like something like that where it's like the whole thing is the disaster happens and then they're dealing with it. Yes, that's what I was expecting going into it. Um, but not, couldn't be further from what this movie actually is. Um, it's a, a movie adaptation of a book about a... A nonfiction book. No. Yeah. Um, of just these fishermen that get caught in the storm. Mm -hmm. I remember we were kind of looking for a, a movie to do. And I was, um, this movie was on the television and then you were there and then I was there and I just saw all these elements coming together and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's the perfect podcast storm. <laughs> and, um, that's not that funny. I, was <laughs> I wasn't, that wasn't that funny for me to say that. Um, but yeah, it was. <laughs> it usually doesn't stop. <laughs> I wasn't that good. What is the emphasis I put on right at the top? Um, yeah, so this is, um, I think, I think I knew it was a nonfiction book going in and I think I saw the end of it in like 2000 when it first came out. You already seen the end of it? Like I saw like Mark Wahlberg floating and like talking to his wife in his head. Oh yeah. So I was like, which but, is like, yeah, but I was like flipping channels pretty fast. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I think I, I kind of went into this movie thinking it was kind of going to be of the snuff film kind of disaster category. Um, I think you were looking for more of a feisty fight. Um, yeah, where the the good guys, yeah. you know, fight through implausible odds and then you just get to see daring right. escapes. And so I think we should also frame it, like, cause it, since this is about a real disaster, we're talking about this very much as a piece of pop culture. All of our frustrations and our experiences are, of course, directed at the movie and not at the nonfiction book or the... Not at all those nice people who died. Not at all the nice <laughs> nice people. Anyway. Yeah, we're maybe jumping ahead of ourselves. Getting ahead of ourselves. So, um, <laughs> so the movie, I think it has a healthy first act. It's like a half hour of us just trying to get to know these people. But I don't think the movie did a great job of it. Like, I, we don't really get much other than that. This is a tough business financially. Um, we get a little bit that it's a tough job physically just because a, a, a man kind of died. It sounds like an older man died um, when they're coming back as the movie starts. And they're kind of blase about his death. And then we just kind of get very quick character portraits of the people we're going to be following on this swordfish boat. Yeah, but it, it does feel very, like, stereotypes. Like, I remember thinking, like, oh, this is a lot longer first act than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Which is usually a good sign, because it usually means that it's going to be more of a character-focused, more right. of like a artsy movie. Um, the, the or level, highbrow or whatever. Yeah, the level of character development we get 
Um, no shade on Law and Order Special Victims Unit, but like <laughs> it very much felt like the cold open of a Law and Order SVU. Yeah, just like a really long. It's just just like yeah, people packing fish. Right, and then you don't really get anything besides all of the things that you would normally like if you were to picture in your mind like small town Massachusetts fishing scene. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like you you got much past that. And yeah, so let's run through our cast here because it is a stack. It's a really good cast. Yeah, we got John C. Riley, who's always my favorite. He's as this podcast has already established. He's my generation's uh, Gene Hackman. <laughs> he's in good movies, he's in bad movies, and he's great in everything. Yeah, always a always a friendly face. And then we got George Clooney as our lead lead captain, which I have some which thoughts on that. I'd like I, to talk about his yeah. casting. In oh my goodness, the whole time I don't even think he tries to do a Boston accent, <laughs> and I also I just don't I think buy it. I think I'm with you. Like, which don't try. You just like just let people do their accents and like yeah. let us use our friggin' imaginations rather than like. <laughs> Hearing someone like attempt like an Irish accent, or, so, yeah. or hire an Irish actor if it, if the accent is crucial. Yeah, um, which I would. It's like I think it would have been a more interesting. I mean, this is getting into. It's like obviously you need a star to like helm a big movie right. or whatever. But like I think it would have been so much more interesting if it was just like actual Boston people. Right, and I think he like he never this ship captain. I'll just jump into my thoughts since this feels a good place to put this. Um, he never goes full Ahab, but I think he's this ship captain is going like a 25%, 30% Ahab. And my problem with George Clooney is he projects, he's a great actor, but like he also, he projects kind of a wistful, um, quiet, bemused, sad integrity, which does not Ahab very well. So it's like right. he doesn't do a bad job acting in this movie, but it's just like, it's such an ask for me to assume that he would do something this reckless and then this this right. selfish and... um. Or that he is, his, the mat again, I, I clearly have a lot more thoughts on George Clooney than I thought. Like, the masculinity he projects is so complicated that kind of his driving force is that, as a character, is that he's this swordfish captain, boat captain, who's not doing that well, who he thinks, everyone thinks he's kind of lost it. He's pushing himself and his crew to go on, to have a successful mission. And um, so that kind of goads him in doing a dangerous thing. I don't really believe that. Like, I would believe someone with a shorter fuse. Yeah, absolutely. And I, the whole time, I was just, I mean, like, he's dressed like a fisherman, mm-hmm. obviously. But uh, the whole time, it's like you just kept waiting for, like, his sweater to slip a little bit and you see a peak of a tuxedo underneath. <laughs> like, I just don't buy that George Clooney's not wearing a tuxedo at all times. Right. Uh, so I think that that adds to that where he just seems like some rich Hollywood guy who swung in for the day... And, like, it was like, I guess I'll be a boat captain today. And it's like, that doesn't really speak to this, like, hardened, driven man who's desperate and is going to do something ill-advised. I've never seen, I haven't seen one second of his Batman, but I bet it's the same problem. Because he just doesn't, like, (laughs) Christian Bale, absolutely, or Michael Keaton, absolutely. I believe that that would be their first thought to solving problems. Just like they would just run around and, and talk in a husky voice and punch people. Whereas George Clooney, I don't get that at all. Right, he seems like he'd be the more level-headed, like, let's tell, let's sit, sit down and talk this out and think this through, guys. Right, he would be a great Mr. Fantastic. What's that? I think that's the name of the main guy, the stretchy guy from uh, Fantastic Four. Like, he's kind of a paternal <laughs> figure, you kind of see him with a pipe. Like I think Yeah, I don't the, know yeah. enough about Fantastic Four to even... I, no one should. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so that those are my thoughts on, on that. We also have Mark Wahlberg, who is yeah, kind of... Yeah, who's like, like our second-in-command. He was kind of like... Or whatever, our second 
char- or second main character. I don't actually know his position on the boat. Yeah, I think this is like early in when they started to like Shia LaBeouf, Mark Wahlberg, where they're going to cast him in everything and kind of <laughs> spam the engine until he stops. Luckily, he's one of those guys who he does a great job. As yeah. an example, like he's very believable as like a oh, poor right. Boston. Uh, I mean, it's it's not actually it's Gloucester. I don't actually know why that is in relation to Boston, but I assume it's the same general area. Um, but yeah, he's very believable as that character. Right. Just very, very tough, very short fuse. I almost kind of want to keep, um, as a selfish viewer, I want to keep young Mark Wahlberg in that role and then just age him, take Mark Wahlberg now and have him play the captain role. And then, <laughs> then I think we got a movie. Just an all Mark Wahlberg cast. <laughs> Sorry, Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg <laughs> and Mark. About, uh, Let's do the, the CGI digital aging that oh, they do now. Like the Irishman. Yeah, I think they should do that. I think that'd be a great movie. Uh, who else has we got? We uh, oh, we have the brother from Eastbound and Down, who I actor. always love. He, I refuse to learn his name apparently, <laughs> but uh, he's great. Yeah, IMDb this movie. He's always wonderful. He reminds me of Michael Shannon. We were talking about this, where it's like, yeah. and this is I'm cribbing something we heard uh, when we saw Guillermo del Toro talk. He said Michael Shannon makes like the good guys seem a little complicated. He makes good guys seem complicated and bad guys seem complicated. He brings kind of like a little evil to good and a little good to evil. Yeah. Um, and similarly, this guy does, he has like a nice, he's very sweet in this movie. But he's, he, he's like, I always feel like comforted by him being there, but he seems like he belongs to like a crowd that would be dangerous. Right. But like he's the nice guy of the dangerous people. Right. And to, and I think as a evidence of his versatility, I'm pretty sure he's the cult leader and um, Marcy. Oh, Martha, Marcy, May Marlene. What is that? Yeah. I mean, that's. It's such a good movie. It's just like my poor little brain craps out after three <laughs> parts of a title. Marcy May. Oh, yeah, it is. It's Martha Marcy May Marley. Could we see if that makes sure that's him? John Hawks, that is him. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah, exactly. Where it's like he's like he could pl- he can play a very friendly character, but then he can also play a very sinister character. Right. And it kind of works both ways. There's another guy. He, he's cast in a lot. He's usually cast as a bad guy. He's um, I like him and everything. I didn't want to say his name. It's like John Finchner or something. What is it? I, Keep going. I feel like you have another couple suffixes. Finnicker. <laughs> Pete Finnicker. What is his name? Oh, there he is. There he is. William Fichtner. Fichtner. I was so close. Yeah, what's he from? He seems like a very small part. In I feel movie. like he's usually the bad guy in a comedy. <laughs> <This is my laughs> but yeah, he seemed like almost the least characterized he, character I, in the whole movie. Like I didn't track this, but he and John C. Riley had beef. Yeah, there was some something, um, there's like a scene early on where apparently those two hate each other, but then John C. Riley gets knocked overboard and almost drowns, and this guy jumps in and saves him. And they were like, oh. But I feel like he had nothing to do in this movie. Right. Like, he did that one scene, and then, like, we didn't hear from him again. So, yeah, and I think it's a couple, like, maybe some character development on the go. I will say, we're, well, we're still kind of covering the on-the-land beat, I think... Diane Lane is furious. She's Mark Wahlberg's um, girlfriend. And um, she's furious that he's going out again. Because it's like late in the season or whatever. Yeah, the whole movie starts with like them just getting home. And it's like, you're finally home. But they did. They had such a bad haul that George Clooney decides to immediately turn around and go back out again. Right. And then there's another character who's introduced as another swordfish boat captain who is the lady from the abyss. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. That is, she she stepped up to the nameplate and she swung hard <laughs> and she that's knocked it out of the park. That's great. 
Um, so yeah, so yeah, she, I liked her. She's there as kind of like a moral observer, I'd say in the movie. Like, yeah, she's sort of like the. Well, I mean, again, George Clooney is very level-headed, just because it's, that's he's just naturally level-headed. But I think she's supposed to be like the level-headed version of George Clooney of right. being like. Don't go out there. It's dangerous. It looks like there's a storm coming. They've got a Gallant and Goofus, like, kind of uh, <laughs> mirror image of each other vibe. Um, so, uh, so yeah, George Clooney kind of, like, very briefly gets the gang together. He kind of Ocean's Elevens it. Uh, <laughs> but to get everyone together. Um, and Dian- and like convince them all to yeah. go, go back out again. One interesting thing I don't want to blow past is... Um, the next day when they wake up, he's getting ready to go, like, Diane Lane's furious. And then Mark Wahlberg just has a huge black eye when he wakes up. And then they just... And they, they play it off cute, like, she was like, oh, did I do that to you? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I need to rewatch that scene to understand how I'm supposed to read that black eye. But I think it's just supposed to be like, wow, they really love each other because she gave him a black eye. Yeah, like, well, I, I, I read it as like, oh, they had such a passionate night of lovemaking that she accidentally... Gave him a black eye, but it's like yeah, or or but it's like how it be a hickey or something. I don't know. Right. It's like how it's like like in the throes of passion, she just accidentally punched him in the eyeball. Here's here's <laughs> the thing that yeah bums me out about that is like I think they're playing it for cute laughs, like kind of like the kind of shared humor thing of like a married couple fighting and like that's funny. Like they would just show a married couple fighting in a movie to be like people are people, right? Like right, and so I think like. That is, and I, maybe they're trying to show that this is a really hard scrabble community. But again, if I'm from there, I don't know if I'd really appreciate this depiction. But like, violence is never okay, even when it's directed at a man. Like, uh, and I think that that is, I just want to put a bow on that. Like, uh, <laughs> um, but, but but yeah. So did I mean? Did you interpret that as just friendly punching that was unrelated to I th- sex? No, I thought I took it as she's furious that he is leaving. Um, during their fight while she was hammered, she clocked him. Then they made up after the oh, fact. Oh, that would actually make And it's more kind of a funny sense. thing of just like, kind of like, my old lady gets real angry. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> but I just think... Well, yeah, which maybe they even showed. I don't even... I don't remember there being a scene of them fighting. But, yeah. But maybe there was like... It just seemed like a weird thing to include. And I think like domestic abuse toward men is real. And uh, should not be, you know, right, just treated general, as a punchline. Like... So that bothered me a little bit and kind of soured me for this. It's like, it, with the weird thing is it's a half hour or so of just getting to know these characters. Uh, yeah, and it's like, that. that's like the extent of the information that we get about those two people. Right. It's and just that, yeah. like, she gave him a black eye. Meanwhile, the stepbrother, from, or the not the stepbrother, I don't know why I said that. I guess, why am I thinking about stepbrothers? Because John C. Riley. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, the brother from Eastbound and Down um, is... Trying to have sex with literally anybody. And well, just that one lady, right? No, but before that, like, sh- this is, like, the very oh, clearly, that... like, there's a run of him trying with literally anybody. He maybe wasn't watching very closely. Yeah, and, um, and so he kind of strikes up a conflict. This, this was weirdly the most poignant part, even though it was I, kind of random. I was going to say, it's like, they have the least whatever. Like, this it was just, like, him. There's no stakes. Him like... and this absolute random lady that he just met at the bar. Uh, but, like, the, the storyline between those two was, my, like, my favorite. Right. It was, like, I think really great casting for both actors. Both actors do a great job. She's kind of busting his balls in the way that you really start to get a sense of this town, of how hard it is, and how two people would actually flirt and talk. Right. And so she's kind of like, he's coming on so strong, but so, so like a doofus that it kind of wins her over. Right. Like it's, it's, he's being very like, he's like chatting her up and she's being like, 
not interested, buddy. And he's he's just kind of like persistent in a um in a very like harmless, obviously right. obviously like cute kind of puppy dog kind of a way. And then she eventually like right. which again also just as long as we're like laying out lessons for people <laughs> how to act is yeah. like don't it, when someone says no thank you, then you leave. Right. <laughs> like, don't persistently hanging around is usually creepy. You're and right. Terrible. That's probably not good messaging in general. I think it was well acted and um Yeah, it's like I think it was it was in this one case like a sort of charming mm. uh instance of But I'm gonna put it in my uh black eye Wahlberg folder i'm just like hey everybody not good at like maybe this is more of a document of the time and not and again i think like depicting this community Mm -hmm. or like trying to get a sense of what this town would actually be like is different than like how we should all ideally act right and i think what we're objected to is that the movie is clearly making a decision that these things are charming right and maybe those things are yeah choosing to show these things versus other things right and so yeah i think the um the way in which he's reading her social cues i think is maybe acceptable but but like i you know it could be i think we i feel like we covered the same thing in the um air force one when harrison ford kisses his uh some lady that works for him right where it was like in that specific scene and in this specific scene I think it reads as charming. Um, I think it. I think it threads the needle of like everyone is understanding what's going on and is on the same page. But in general, it's a bad as a life lesson. Right. Someone's gonna watch this movie and then think that's cute and then do it to someone else, and it's not going to be cute. I'm glad that that settled law and that we can just cite cases, <laughs> so we don't have to navigate that. But um, but they're really charming. So anyway, nothing really happens with them. But before they take off the next day, she just shows up and says goodbye to him, and they don't even like physically interact at all. He's just they have a really meaningful moment. Yeah, and that really, part I do like. And he's really touched because he was like, oh, no one's ever. Like, I've never had anyone to say goodbye to me Right. And that was really heartbreaking. And I think if the movie had nailed, like, two or three more of those with different characters, I would have been so on the boat with these guys. And I think I have not read the book or really even read a summary of of the book. But just in what I read from reviews of the movie, I think the book does that much better. Mm. Of kind of, like, really gives you a sense of what this town is like, what what these characters, characters are like, and, like, the whole world. But yeah, this does not. And you mentioned another um, crossover, which is Air Force One. Same director. Oh, right. So this guy did Das Boat, we know, and he did this, which I like just knowing those three movies. He did Das Boat, uh, Perfect Storm, and Air Force One. So I like me thinking about this director um, realizing that like a plane is a type of boat and being like, (laughs) oh my God, (laughs) I think I have an idea. Can presidents go on them? Okay, no, I definitely have an idea. <laughs> That's the movie I want to. I would watch. I watch Harrison Ford as a president on a sinking boat. There you go. Right, and yeah. then he has to fight his way out. Yeah. What's the name? Does the president? I guess he's just never on a boat. Does the president have a, a boat? Like, there's Marine One is his helicopter. Air Force One is his plane. Does he have like a Mermaid Zero? Like. Uh, <laughs> It's definitely called Mermaid Zero if he has one. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm realizing like just he probably just doesn't travel by boat that often because that wouldn't be. It doesn't come up much. <laughs> right, yeah. Because it's not like he's an action hero and you need to just merchandise as many vehicles as there are for a person. <laughs> he's just a person who goes places. But I wonder. Yeah, I guess it's like if he was traveling mm-hmm. 
if he was like visiting Hawaii, he would go by plane. Right. I think, yeah. And it's like, they might name a battleship after you, but that's after the fact. You don't get to ride on it. You could. You could. You could. Yeah. Yes, no. You know, you could ask a couple phone, you can make a couple phone calls, <laughs> ask a couple phone calls. Um. So yeah, so we're now... I, <laughs> we're giving you a good sense of the length and the boringness of the act one of this movie. Right, yeah. So they go, there's a lot of fishing. It doesn't, fishing doesn't go, like, it's kind of, there's not much to talk about for how long we're talking. Like, Oh yeah, we're, I feel like we're almost done so, <laughs> yeah. the movie because so little happens. But I think we've covered everything that happens on land. Right. Like, I don't even know. Maybe there's other girlfriends. I don't Yeah, so we see him so. fish a bit. It goes well. It goes poorly. It goes, you know. Yeah, you get a sense of... I actually... I think those scenes were maybe my favorite in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you get kind of just their regular fishing. It seems to go fine, but not that good. Um, Does not, it just go really bad? Yeah, and, like, certainly, certainly not good enough to, like get what they were trying to get out of this. And I don't and the one thing that happens, I don't know if this is actually story or not, but they think they catch a swordfish at one point and they catch a shark. Yeah, I think I think there's a like three like inauspicious things that happen. Like So it's like evidence that things are going poorly. Yeah, they I think one of the characters even says so, so there's like the bit um John C. Riley gets his hands That's a rough Yeah caught in like a big hook and gets pulled overboard and underwater and drowns and then um, mark Wahlberg and william fichtner fichtner Fichtner, um jump overboard and rescue him and resuscitate him which is significant in that fichtner and john c Riley's character have been straight up fighting just arguing and fighting this entire time but fichtner does not hesitate to jump overboard to go save him right yeah so that i think is i think that is revealing of the like I think like it's the type of character that right. works on these boats. Exactly. Where it's just sort of like you might break someone's jaw over something stupid, but you'd also save their life without thinking about it. And right. so I think that is like a good Almost made, like a code of honor kind of a thing. Yeah, possibly idealized, but I think it did um uh it was revealing kind of revealing character on the go much more than we got in the town. Right, yeah. Um, so that happens, and then also, yeah, they're trying to pu- trying to reel in a swordfish at one point, but then it's actually a shark, and it it gets all the way like a wave washes it all the way onto the ship, and it bites mm. Mark Wahlberg's foot. Right, and then George Clooney straight shoots it in the head with a shotgun, which is yeah. awesome. Which yeah, I was like, I didn't realize shotguns would be that effective against sharks. And it seems like a bad because also it's like I don't I've never fired a gun in my life. Uh, but like it seems like it would hurt the person who has their leg in the shark's head <laughs> to blow to blow a shark's head off with a shotgun. Yeah. But um, I mean, yeah, I think it was more like he, I feel like he kind of got it in the eye, so it was like mm-hmm. it's like the mouth was over here and then the eye was back here. But it's like yeah, yeah. it's like better have good aim. And I think it's also good like I'm coming off like a dude bro here thinking it was great, but I think it's good for shark conservation too because it's like the more fake sharks we can blow their heads off with shotguns. And then have that footage, we just watch that instead of actually shooting sharks in the head with a shotgun. You know? Who's shooting? What? <laughs> no, nobody, because we already have the footage. So we can, <laughs> we can get the catharsis of shooting a shark in the head with a shotgun. What are you talking about? We get the catharsis of seeing that happen. But we don't have to go out to a beach and do it, you know? Because otherwise, that's the, like that's oh, the only thing keeping me from you running could, to a beach right now. We would run the risk of human beings throwing off, you know, uh, the animal kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) 
we very narrowly escaped human beings having a negative impact, a ne negative impact on the planet by just showing the shark get shot in the head. Anyway, <laughs> we'll cut all that out. So there's there's the thing happens with John C. Riley. The thing happens with a shark. I think one other bad thing happens um, that I don't remember. Um, they, yeah, I think we might be um, something breaks the spell in that they they have they start to have a good they have a good home. But did something happen before that? I was just gonna say, well, yeah, I'm not sure when I'm not sure when this conversation happens if it's before or after the good hall spoiler. Um, but I at some point one of the people on the boat says, um, like, hey, listen, I'm starting to get a bad feeling about this. Mm -hmm. You know, like we've had these weird things keep happening. Like maybe we should just go back. Right, and I think that is that the scene where Mark Wahlberg kind of confronts um, George Clooney, and then George Clooney, we really get his a touch of his madness where he's like, I "Think I've lost it," and he just like screams at Mark Wahlberg, and it's really unreasonable. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, so, so <laughs> or something else happens before that, but yeah, we really get the sense that this is a hopeless journey, and that it would be smart to turn back. Um, yeah. Then I think we also get this is where we start to get some of the the B and C stories mixed in where. Um, yeah, I was going to say, there's also one other character on the boat who we haven't mentioned yet because he also gets almost nothing to do. Um, Alan Payne. Alan Payne, he, he was good, but yeah, he just didn't get really get any character development or anything. Yeah, I mean, I it's like Alan Payne and William Fickner in this. It's like, I don't know what their characters wanted right. or what they what their characteristics were. We or... get a little bit from Payne about he's worked with Clooney a lot and that he's never seen him scared. But um, mm -hmm. it's kind of, I don't know. That's not that much for him. Yeah. Um, we get the sense that things are picking up. Maybe, I don't know if the movie connects these dots, but the other other boats are looking at the weather faxes they're getting and turning back. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, they, he keeps getting these weather, weather faxes that, like, show these big storms. Um, and the 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 lady from uh, the abyss mm -hmm. um, calls, calls George Clooney on the radio and is like, hey, I'm behind you. The weather's really bad. Like, you should come back. And... He's saying, like, well, you're behind me, so the weather's behind me, so it's fine, because I'm not going that direction. And she's like, but you have to come back through this way to get mm -hmm. back to land. So, yeah, he's starting to work up his Ahab steam a little bit here. And then they start catching a bunch of fish. Yeah, they hit a really good haul. I, and I think they were I think they were heading to some location. Because I remember back in the bar at the beginning, he says, like, we're heading out to Fisherman's Cove or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the guy's kind of like, oh, dicey area where there's like a lot of fish, but also it's kind of dangerous. Right, right. So, so I think they get to that point and it is everything they hoped for and they get all the fish in the entire world. And right. they like pack the bottom of the boat and it's going to be like, we're all millionaires, not millionaires, but like we all can like pay our rent this winter. Right. So yeah, they're really excited about it. We see a lot of people like them like happily scooping it crushed ice into fish and kissing the fish and oh they, yeah they, literally there's so much it's just like slow motion of them like slapping fish into each other's faces <laughs> there is a, definitely yeah. someone kisses a fish at some point and they also like i think they um they cut the heads off oh and yeah maybe, maybe scoop the insides out and then like pack them full of ice so it's just like these weird half carcasses where they end up looking after this process they look kind of like a cross between a Muppet and the worms from Dune. <laughs> yeah. Where, and like, they, when you first see the fish in the movie, they just all have their heads cut off with this kind of weird sea cut. And um, 
like the letter C, and they look like they have like these kind of weird Muppet mouths. So it was really strange. Yeah, the whole very beginning, I was like, wait, wait, yeah. <laughs> is that like it just looks like they have just really wide open mouths, right? Um, and I was just like, is that a type of fish, or has this fish been processed? Right. <laughs> And um, so that was strange. So I think at this point, we're also getting like the the B and C story starting of unconnected. We're just seeing some rich a-holes on like a pleasure oh, yacht. I had completely even forgot about this. Also, I would say this storyline is like more interesting than the main storyline, but it's completely unconnected and it never sinks back up. Right. Yeah. It's Karen Allen from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Who's great. She's always great. It was great to see her. Then the the warden from the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> right. And um, and then a third person. Yeah. And third, then, yeah. Third human. So their boat starts to get messed up and then, um, and I think they trigger like a rescue, like an yeah, they rescue. Yeah, like, they like call for a mayday and um, like the... Coast Guard mm-hmm. or whatever it is um, comes comes and rescues them by boat and helicopter. So you get that like the Coast Guard is out and about saving people, right? Um, and then the Coast Guard it, it almost connects. Like the Coast Guard then gets um, a mayday because our our other captain, what's your name? With, with the lady with the long name from the abyss, mm-hmm. um, she calls in a mayday for the George Clooney's boat, right, which is called. The Andrea Dora something? Andrea Gale? The Andrea Gale. Um, I don't know what the Andrea Dora is. So she calls in a mayday for them. So the Coast Guard hear it and try to go there. But since I guess they had already rescued these other people, they're running low on fuel and they try to refuel and then they run out of fuel and then the helicopter crashes and then they're all lost in the Right, and then Ocean they have the like yeah. so then they have to get rescued by the ship, their kind of command ship. Yeah. So that's kind of so that's that going whole on. that whole yeah. story is like really really gripping. And those are compelling set pieces, but like I think without character development, it kind of feels like I'm running errands with the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of felt like oh god, now we have to get up there, and so it was. Um, I think maybe I was backed off the movie to the, the drama of it didn't really read. I was just kind of like, and it's right. also, the movie's also so wet and dark that it's kind of hard to attach because it's like outlines. I've seen like silhouettes, like wet silhouettes <laughs> do all this stuff. And so it was kind of hard to, for it to register on a human level. But, but you yeah. know, yeah, I, th- I feel like the, the thing you get out of it is like, don't go on the sea. Oh, I'm good luck getting me to go on the sea. <laughs> After this movie, but um, but that was it was just kind of like yeah, I guess that does suck. And there's lots of shenanigans back on the Andrea Gale of like them just just hot rotting it up these just mountains of water, just trying to get back. Yeah, because they I think they oh so the the thing is we like should they cover yeah just plot wise, which this is a good this is a good um constraint or whatever motivator for the plot is they get all these fish. And they're like, there's this huge storm behind us, but no worries, we'll just chill out here until a storm passes and then we'll drive back home. But then their ice machine breaks, so they're not going to be able to keep these fish preserved. Right. So it's like, either we wait and stay safe and lose all of the fish, which is like the whole reason that we're here. And Mm. like, we really need these to like, keep making a living. Or we just like punch our way through the storm and let's see how it works. Right. So this is kind of why um, George Clooney's only 30% Ahabbing is that he gets his crew's consent or he asks them what they want to do yeah. to do this. And it, it, it's very much, they're just like, hey, let's give it hell. Why not? Right, right. Which 
again, I buy, but like, it didn't seem like it was even much of a decision or a conversation right. or anything. They were just like, I don't know, should we go back? And they're like, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. I think we get a bit, little bit of like, they feel like they're being the scrappy softball team that, that won the pennant or whatever. But, um, by now we've gotten some, a cutaway to a weather center with, um, Shooter McGavin <laughs> at a computer, um, whose main character development is that he has, um, the count from Sesame Street, a plush stuffed animal of the count. Does he? But I think it's actually like very economical being like, this guy is a bean sorter and he loves it. <laughs> I think it's like, a, I couldn't have done better externalizing that. But I think he's like, does he even... There's no character development. Come other back? Than, other than that plush. Like, I think he just shows up the once at the beginning to say, to look at a meteorological map or whatever, a weather map, and say, oh my God, it's going to be the perfect storm <laughs> right yeah and then it was like and then yeah he, I think never, get, he never comes back we get one or two scenes with it we get one scene of him being like wait a minute and then the next scene <laughs> it's just like it's gonna be the perfect storm weirdly I Where it's like just have that in like voiceover if that's <laughs> gonna be how little of a part that is and having read that there was apparently so much good stuff in the book that this movie didn't have and i feel like this this analysis is very much coming from nonfiction world and mm-hmm. it was really interesting not really interesting, but it was like these three storms are colliding or like two storms are colliding with like a the normal whatever jet stream or whatever. I don't know. There was like a hurricane and then a nor'easter mm-hmm. and then something else. But I kind of would have liked, I mean, this is just a completely different movie. If it would have been done the way Adam McKay handed, handled the big short where there's just straight nonfiction asides in the story. Yeah. I think if you're going to do something that's supposed to be so nonfiction-y, it's, it's like they, it's like they took a nonfiction thing and then stripped out all the non-fiction right. parts and there wasn't enough fiction parts left in right. it to carry the movie. Like how cool would it have been if like, I'm just describing a different movie. If like we see a scene on the boat and then like Ray Liotta in Goodfellas, George Clooney just starts doing an into the camera. Like this is this person. He does this. You need someone who's like this, you know, that like, would be so great. And the movie would have been amazing. Again, yeah. I think we can fix it in the edit. If we just, <laughs> uh, let's, let's call George Clooney up right now. I need six hours max. Uh, <laughs> So, no, but something like that would have been great and I think would have made this all seem richer and more meaningful as opposed to just seeing, like, a a really well-made, like, made-for-TV movie. And that's, that's like, a that's an, an anachronism because of how good TV has gotten. <laughs> but, yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like I'm talking as a 90s kid where that was just, like, you would watch, like, David Koresh just get blown up and then it would be, like, that done like this. And then, you know, that was a made-for-TV movie. <laughs> Mm. They, they did a, tell, us, tell us more of your childhood David Koresh was huge you either worked for him <laughs> <laughs> or you were with the ATF just on the inside with the, the thing in your ear um, no but yeah uh, I don't know why I was talking about David Koresh but um, are you talking about into the camera into the cameras I mean like but made for TV movies yeah voiceovers that like if George Clooney had done a voiceover or with the the um the weather guy, like that, right. that could have been handled in a voiceover. Too. Right, I think it just would have made the movie more interesting, and we would have gotten more information. Like, I would have loved to learn more about this, how toxic. Because I think like the implication is they don't really go for it. Is like these are men who are being driven by toxic capitalism to to get killed. Right, who who are who are like being put in a position position where they are forced to risk their lives doing something very dangerous, just so that they can like scrape by. Right. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, you don't. That's kind of what I assume the movie's trying to say. It doesn't really... Yeah, and there's lots of shenanigans on the boat, but it's just, it's so, it kind of, um, the balances were so tipped 
against them the whole time that I was just kind of like, this is not fun to watch. Like they're right. It's not like um gravity where things are miserable. Then she kind of figures something out and gets an upper hand. Then and things then are miserable again. Something something worse goes wrong, and then she solves that, and then something worse goes wrong. Um, yeah, this is just like it just kind of sucks, and like there's not a lot they can do about it. Right, and they're kind of still. They're I think, just kind of like waiting. Yeah, and then like um, George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg are still kind of high school footballing it in the in the bridge, um, trying to chug up these hills and stuff, and um, and that goes on for a while. And I'm just gonna skip over some stuff. But then they um, they just basically see a giant hill where there's no way. Oh, yeah. Which is the one from the movie poster. Right. Like we spend all we spend like an hour and 45 minutes getting to the movie poster. And then that wave happens. And then they just. It's just kind of done. It just destroys their boat. And then that's it. Right. And then they and then spoilers. They all die right away. Right. And it was like, oh, I thought there was going to be some more back and forth or like some more like them striving or it's it's just like no there's just there's a really big wave and it just killed them all john c Riley, as his the, he's in the he's in the under part of the ship which is a technical term and the water's filling with water and his face is getting covered and the last thing he says it's like this is gonna be really hard on my kid he's gone it's just like yeah thank no we get it <laughs> we get that this is sad yeah but. no but i i again that happens so fast it's like the boat gets knocked over and then you know, it's a thing that we've seen in a thousand other disaster movies where, or James Bond movies or action movies where, like, someone's trapped in a room that's filling with water and, like, you would expect some sort of, like, oh, they're going to block this and then they escape through this door, but then, like, oh, but they didn't consider this. Uh, you know, like, like some sort of plans going awry, but it's like it's just like, no, they all just are trapped yeah. and immediately know that they're going to die and just sit and wait to die. And it's also... Which makes so it more real, realistic, but also without any of those other nonfiction flourishes that are kind of on our wish list, it kind of makes it like, well, why did you show us this? If there's no... If there's no... Um, I don't know. If there's no, no, no difficult decisions being made, it's kind of like... Yeah, or like character-revealing things... Uh, which they do a little bit with George Clooney, which we'll talk about in a second. Like I'm not, I'm not asking for John C. Riley to suddenly know chemistry and invent like <laughs> something that blows up the side ship. And they get like, I don't need like a like I don't think you're calling for a James Bond thing, but I think the thing you're pointing out is like we realize when that happens that the the last meaningful decision that was made was made like an hour ago. So why right. were we here this whole so time? So we were just waiting. It's like you're just watching someone get shot in the head, right? And you're yeah. like. That sucks. That was terrible. That was just someone just got shot in the head and they just died. Um, and I think also, we, this is also something else we've talked about, is like when you are killing off a main character, that's kind of a special effect because that's such a... Right. That's such a powerful emotional moment that if they are just dying, then it's like... Yeah, it's like the the actions that they do in those moments are really meaningful. Like the conversations that they have the last things they say to each other mm -hmm. are really meaningful um and they uh like the scenes are like this scene was like five seconds right yeah and i think that yes we get the, the guys dying in the in the underboat and then we get like the uh, <laughs> george clooney and mark Wahlberg are still on the bridge george clooney apologizes to mark Wahlberg. says sorry i got you into this and mark Wahlberg's like, yeah we gave hell though didn't we like uh yeah and then um well, uh, yeah mark uh mark Wahlberg goes like no, you made the right choice. We had to try. 
Yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah. And so the, yeah. their little bridge is filling up with water. George Clooney's like, hey, let's get out of here, which I think is a cool thing to say in that context. Yeah. And then so Mark Wahlberg swims out, and then he turns back to look, and he sees that George Clooney is, in fact, going to hang out the bridge and, and go down with the ship. Right. Like, George Clooney, like, swims halfway out to kind of encourage Mark to leave, and then he kind of ducks back in and goes back with the boat, which that's what we're and talking about a... with, like, character-revealing decisions. It's like, oh, right. he's, he's showing that, like, with his his last... uh last choice that he's going to make is to go down with the ship. Right. And so I, I guess it does kind of cast everything that came before it. And it but again, I, I think the casting is an issue of like, we now understand that for George Clooney, this was always a matter of life and death. Like if he couldn't make it as a captain, he was going to die or whatever. Um, right. Which you didn't really get a sense of. It is a nice. Until a, then. When I saw it, like flipping channels furiously, I did see a little bit where George Clooney kind of like, the, is kind of like, the bridge is in darkness and then there's part that's kind of like in light and like you just see George Clooney kind of lean forward like he's kind of making a feint and then he just leans back in darkness. It's a very affecting image. Yeah, I do remember that. Like the actual, like the the lighting and the staging of it is is very... Really powerful and sad. And then, um, then we just see little Mark Wahlberg just adrift like a little Mark Wahlberg cork in this big ocean. and he's Still, it's just in the center of the gigantic storm. So it's kind of like, well, that's not helpful. Yeah, and he's just psychically communicating with Diane Lane. He has The Shining, and he um, tells and, her that he loves her. Yeah, and they, they do the thing where they, they like water stamp her image over top. Right, like, it, it gets a little... Opaque. It gets a tiny bit Sears photograph in that part. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but no, it's... It, and then at this point in the movie, I'm like, wait... Did they all just die? Did they seriously <laughs> yeah. just die? Because this is this is the point at which I'm realizing this is a nonfiction movie because right. I had not known that up until now. And they just all died. Right. You were hoping <laughs> that it was going to be like Mark Wahlberg with like rope in his mouth jumping and just catching the helicopter. Right. And then, yeah. Yeah. Or, and I was going to be like, even at this point, I was like, oh, I guess all those other people just died. And then... I guess Mark Wahlberg will be like the lone survivor mm-hmm. and there'll be like a shot of him coming back on the dock and Diane Lane will be so happy. And I worried that... And then it's just like cut to a funeral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I worry too that it sounds like we're advocating for kind of like trite, tropey action conventions to get people out of serious situations, which is not the case at all. I right. think what we're saying is that it was just like too betwixt in between of like shameless commercial thriller and nonfiction. Like if right. it had been more nonfiction, we would have totally been into that. Like slice Absolutely. of life, kind of more like because it was so not character based. I was, I was assuming that they were going plot full action co- commercial action thriller, which they also were not doing. Right. So it was just kind of like neither. Right. And um, so yeah, so that we see their funeral, which is um, to their credit, it's packed. It's a good turnout. <laughs> it's like a good turnout. Yeah, there's standing standing room only. Um, and uh, so I was happy for them. <laughs> and again, talking about. The movie, um, not real life. I'm so paranoid about that. Um, you know, what? it's turned to pop culture. I'm commenting on pop culture. I'm not. I'm stop. I'm stop feeling bad about it. You know, we'll cut all of that. Yeah, pop culture <laughs> can feel bad about itself. How about that? Feel bad about putting like I don't know the raining. It. Uh, uh, I feel like you're gonna make this worse by whatever you're about to say. Putting like the singing and the rain guy in like a vacuum commercial. You know, they did that. They did this too. They did the whole thing. We'll cut all this out. Um, <laughs> Um, but no, so yeah, and then we get that Diane Lane is talking with Mark Wahlberg's mother, I believe, and we, this is a nice touch, like, we get that whatever he was shining to her in the ocean, she's dreaming about it, she's dreaming the exact words that he says to her. 
I did not pick up on that. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I thought this is nonfiction. You <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Kidding. Um, there could be something else. Um, <laughs> if you, also, if you're going to mumble, try to mumble towards Sorry the mic. That. Yeah. No, no. no so, but no, that is nice. Um, Mark Wahlberg kind of got, he got something through to Diane Lane. So like, he's like, I would have been like, you can't punch me where I'm going. That's what I would have said. <laughs> uh, but no, and then that's it. And then the movie ends. And then there's like a post-credit scene where the storm gets recruited by Nick Fury. <laughs> it's like, that was some nice work. Yeah, so I was I was left furiously disappointed um, mm-hmm. because, again, I mean, genre confusion is a real problem, everybody. Um, I would say some some strong suits. Um, early CGI, the ocean looks real and terrifying. Yeah, it looked no, really yeah. beautiful and sublime. It was terrible. Yeah, that one terrifying. that yeah. one gigantic wall of water wave was genuinely scary. Yeah, and a lot of. Yeah, so that was really good. Um, that was another thing. I maybe was just thinking of a completely different movie when we picked, <laughs> picked this movie to watch. Because I, I thought this movie came out in like 2014. I think this came out in like 2000 with a bullet. Yeah, it was. It came out in 2000. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, it was pretty good CGI for 2000. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so would this have come out after Air Force One or before? Oh, that's a... Well, Air Force One's 90s, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's fair. I'm going to look at it. What you have to like Google? United States Air Force. <laughs> it's is it too late for me to join? Nineteen ninety seven. Nineteen ninety seven. So yeah, so so we went back to boats after airplanes. So yeah, so you this is a thumbs down for you. This is, well no, we don't want to get sued. This is a um Well is that infringing on that's does like, someone yeah, own thumbs? That's Cisco and Ebert, man. <laughs> they don't own the concept of giving something a thumbs up or a thumbs down. They but in the context of a movie, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't risk it. I think they could, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't touch it. No, I would say if if assuming that the goal of this podcast is like there's nothing to watch, you're randomly scrolling through Netflix and you come across this movie that sounds familiar to you that you you're like, oh right, I think that was a thing. Do I want to watch that right now? So in that context, I would say no. Mm-hmm. I'd say just skip this one. I'd say if you just got dumped and you're just like drunk. Yeah. And you're just like, everything sucks. What's the point? For sure watch this. <laughs> yeah, if you want to just like wallow a little bit in just things sucking. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. But also yeah. I think there's probably better movies to do that. Right? Like if like pick a pick a uh tearjerker. Yeah. Like pick a pick a, pick a heartstring a, movie. This is a good one. Like what are movies that have made us feel actual doom? Oh, that's good. Yeah, like what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is more of a. I never felt actual doom, but I felt it in the fun sense. Is uh, the two towers, the Helm's Deep sequence? I feel oh, genuinely yeah. concerned for those characters. Yeah. But again, that's a completely different register. Not really a fair comparison. Oh, one we watched recently. Um, a lot of people are really divided about this movie, but don't look up. Oh, do, yeah, don't look up. Um, it was such. I loved it. Um, I mean, people are complaining. They think I think they think that the movie is. I can see this. We talked about this a little bit. They use the word smug. Right, it's definitely preaching to the choir. Right, I think I, I would say it's certainly not trying to change anyone's mind yeah. about anything. It's more just a fun satirical romp if you are already on right. the side. <laughs> and yeah, and it's kind of like also like if I don't know if you've ever had like well this would be like pre two thousand nineteen, but like had drinks with somebody you agree with, and they get worked up and start screaming at you <laughs> about like, the I opinion know. you share. Like <laughs> that's kind of where the movie gets to at some points in the middle. That said, it's just like. 
Adam McKay's also very funny. All of his parodies of online culture, I think, were spot on. And I thought it, I thought the whole point... Or satires, I should say, not parodies, because it's like, uh, I mean, technically both, but yeah, satire for sure. Um, run us through, what's the difference? Parody is just showing you more of the same. So it's like being like, this is what Harry Potter's like. This is Harry Potter. Like, here's Harry Potter. Here's Harry Potter goes to college. Here's everything we know about college, everything we know about Harry Potter. You're not saying that either one is bad. You're just kind of showing them You're more. just kind of like imitating. Right, yeah. So parody doesn't have to be satire. Um, satire is you're holding something up for ridicule. So parody um, often works with satire where right. you show it to, to ridicule it. But um, something, I'm trying to think of like, I think parody, just pure parody is rare. Oh, like documentary now. If you've ever seen it, it's just pure parody right, for just, no reason. It's just this is what documentaries are. And right. it's not not disparaging them. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a really interesting show in that usually satire is much more popular because we could wrap our brains around tearing something down. Yeah. But um, so this is satire. Satire for sure. For sure. Yeah. But no, I thought I kind of read the whole movie as if you're already in, say, political agreement with points that Adam McKay is making this is like a fun, um, almost like a stress relief, kind of like just just someone being like, God, doesn't everything suck? Right, And we're yeah. like, yeah, thank you for saying it. It does suck. And I think, yeah, the best part of the movie, because it's about, if you're not familiar with it, it's about a meteor that's going to destroy Earth and kind of no one believes it. I think, and the, I think there's people focus on the climate change aspect of it. It's like the world is actually ending and no yeah, one's believing it. Yeah, I did it. not actually... Whereas, like, I didn't realize it was about climate change until I read reviews of it. I thought it was about COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and that's what I mean, too, is, like, I think it's a much more successful satire of the fact that whatever you put into the media landscape or right. really the interpersonal, like, the way we engage with technology and communication, it's just going to spit out the nonsense that's already in people's brains. Right. And, yeah, I think that was that was the funnest and, like, the funnest part is just... Uh, the the difficulty of communicating anything through the media as it is now because right. it's like you have the people who are going to do this to it you have the people who are going to do this to it and you just kind of right. see all the different reactions when someone is just trying to like when someone isn't very good at uh like they they say like at the beginning that like DiCaprio needs uh, media training where it just kind of like I feel like that was the right. point is like if you don't have media training. In this day and age, it's really hard to get anyone to, like, listen to you. <laughs> right, right. And, yeah, so, and it was just a very good, um, yeah, satire of that, satire of how kind of corrupt and useless capitalism and our, the ruling class are. So, and how much um, blind faith people put in billionaires. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I think I had a lot really going for it. Much more, I think, it way outweighed its flaws to me. I yeah. think, um and it was funny to go on Twitter and just see kind of the movie people on Twitter do to it what the movie shows <laughs> Twitter doing to things. Right. So that was um, interesting. But yeah, so but it genu genuinely reminded me of the doom we're living in. Um, and I was really, it was heavy. Um, yeah. Even though it's also very funny. Um, no, and I really liked, I and I think also I mainly treated the whole thing as a comedy, which I think maybe some people are upset that they, he wasn't more serious about right. it um i think that's a, some of the reviews i read too made me think of just that thing that comes up in edgar wright's documentary on sparks also a great movie of people just don't take funny things seriously right. so the fact that it was funny i think let people kind of dismiss a lot of its very valid criticism or be like how dare you make jokes about this topic yeah 
Um, but for all that, the the ending was very, very moving and very, very kind of serious yeah. and sad. And I have to give it credit, too, for uh, no spoiler, because this is a movie people might be looking forward to seeing um, still. Um, I'm very anti-religion, but I think it, it showed religion in the context that was very um, flattering. And I thought sweet and made me kind of soften a little bit about that. And I think that's sort of like if you... I mean, that's a big metric for me is like art that can kind of change or inform your, your, um, your opinion on things or your perspective on things. It's like, that's pretty valid. Um, and maybe he needed to scream at me on things I agreed about for two hours to get me there, but you know, it was, um, that was nice. Yeah. And because well, no, well, we don't want to spoil it, but yeah, go check that out. Any other disaster movies that you love? I was just trying to think of, um, and we can cut it down if you want to think. Like, yeah, uh, maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll just think about it for a second. Right. Oh, we just watched um, World War Z. What do you think about that? How do you think that stacks up? Did you feel genuine doom? It was, it was that was more of like telegraphing. This is a straight commercial thriller. Right. That that one you felt very much like, oh, Brad Pitt's going to be totally fine no matter what happens. Right. It was kind of it kind of had protagonists too, where it's just like wherever he went, like everyone around him, but him died. Right. Yeah. It's like the whole city around him would collapse, but he would get through just fine. Ooh, I thought of one we watched recently. It's probably my favorite one in this genre lately. Can you think of it? Contagion. Yeah. That that one gen like that one only makes me feel <laughs> right. I mean, that is a very like realistic amount of. Um, things just kind of sucking. But yeah. I feel like that one too, it's it's more just nonfiction than Well, I was gonna say it's more it's not it's not like that that drop in the pit of your stomach feeling mm. where you're like, oh shit. It's just like, yeah, this just sucks. This was just a bummer and it's gonna take a really long time to get through this and this is just realistically how long it takes. I think it did some things better than this movie. And of course it's a completely different subject with a lot more characters, but like it kind of nailed the nonfiction thriller for me, even though this is a fictional thriller, um, of people kind of have traction sometimes. Like, there was competence porn mixed in with the helplessness that actually was kind of like the thing that made it more um, engaging. Yeah, I think I was sort of expecting some of that from the our newscaster character. Like, I kind right. of thought I was, I thought there was going to be a whole thread of like, Oh, and here's what the people, here's like what the weathermen do during times like this. And mm -hmm. like, it would be sort of like them tackling things on their end as best they could. Um, but there sure isn't. Yeah, I think we're maybe, there's not as many movies that made me feel doomed that I thought of, which makes me sad for some reason. Well, but I think it's also the thing, like, I don't think you're going to find it in a disaster movie so much. Because right. I feel like the, generally the disaster movies we watch are like, Ones where you know the hero is going to be fine. And it's just kind of like interesting to see how they'll make it through this particular hurdle. Oh, I got one. It's not a disaster movie. You're right. That, that opened that opened everything up. <laughs> that was like Pollock putting the canvas on the floor. <laughs> um, this movie makes me feel genuine doom every time I see it. And I contemplate my own death for like three months after I watch it. Every time I watch it and I watch it. Watch. Yeah. Glory. <laughs> it was a movie I yeah right right I was shown it when I was like nine and I tried to write like my first fiction project was I tried to write a civil war novel after I watched <laughs> Glory which it's like um I know that movie is touches on a lot of really sensitive topics that I don't think probably is accurate seeing as a Hollywood movie from like the 90s 
but um but it really had a huge impact on me as a young person and and watching it still just yeah and i think that i think that that's exactly what i'm saying where i think that's the spirit that this movie was going for are like people who are way underdogs who are up against impossible odds who are gonna strive and struggle through anyway right um right yeah spoiler alert yeah um i'll put i'll punch in a spoiler alert for glory (laughs) um but yeah i think that that sort of and like that really that was really like heartbreaking when mm -hmm. kind of like when you're watching the end of it like you really feel the struggle right yeah which i think again is what this movie is trying to do and you spend so much time kind of in with these people and like the emphasis is really put on well they're whether or not they can get along and work together and right um, there's so much growth and change from the characters before that right. happens that's like <laughs> and it's like i think this is maybe the the thing the fragile thing a movie has to build before you can be devastated by the death of like i'll never forget when i showed you glory for the first time right before i'm not going to spoil it the thing that makes me cry happens uh julia just said they were doing so well <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, uh, where it's like, like, oh, but they, uh, they had it. They They were right there. It's like their, not only their, um, their success as like, uh, a group of soldiers, but as individuals and friends and people, it's this fragile thing that the world of the movie has built and now we're losing it. Right. Uh, right. Where I think with, with the perfect storm, we don't get the, like, you don't have anything to lose because we don't know anything about these people. mm Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and that's exactly where it's like that's exactly what's missing from Perfect Storm. It's just like I kind of feel like they did a good job of painting these people in a realistic way of kind of what that would have been like, but I never get the sense that the bond between these people or these individuals are irreplaceable, which I'm sure in real life they were, right? But we just never got that sense, right? So, in the movie, um, so yeah, so everyone go watch Glory instead, I guess, absolutely. I'll put in. At the beginning, I'll put in their spoiler words for Don't Look Up and, and Glory. <laughs> so watch those movies before you watch this or listen to this. Um, yeah, so what's the pregnancy check-in? How are you doing? Uh, good, good. I'm 32 weeks now, so we're fully in the third trimester. Um, we are kind of in a weird holding stage, it feels like, where we're just kind of waiting like there's nothing more to be done but we're not yet in the final stretch mm-hmm. where, where it's like we're that britney like... spears song what song not a girl not yet a woman is that a britney spears song is it i'm asking you <laughs> you brought it up <laughs> it's the funny thing too i think that what really makes this joke work is it's nothing like that song <laughs> i mean yeah so we're just it's just like that kind of frustrating like it feels like we're closer to the end than we actually are so I'm like doing a lot of research on like, you know, childbirth and newborn care, but there's like still like two months to go before right. any of that is applicable. So it just feels like. And also it's it's hard to even know, like once you get past a certain threshold, it could be any day or it could be another month. You know, it's, uh, there's no way to know. So that's kind of, it's like Teddy on, um, <laughs> I got 48 babies. <laughs> Who can plan for that? So I'm so glad you, you knew it. You can complete that reference. Um, but, the Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers. For you, for you guys who don't know. But um, yeah, so it's it's kind of an up in the air time. Um, yeah, so I, I think we've both been kind of uh, alternating between um, terror of the thought of having uh, a newborn who is fully under our care and then just impatience for her to 
get here already. Right, yeah, because we're at the point to where you, we have, she's here. She's, she's physically. Fo- she's fully it, formed. Guys, she's in the room with us right now. <laughs> don't, don't look, don't look. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so it's kind of like, I, I too, I vacillate between just total terror, sheer bloody terror, and just wishing she was hanging out with us right now. Yeah. So, um, so that's fun. It's a document for the, the future. Um, but, I have some personal news to report as well. Um, I was just gonna say. Oh, sorry. No, no, please. No, I was just, I was just thinking as a, as a document of because we have haven't really been doing any. I haven't been doing any documenting of any of this pregnancy. I so. started a journal and I flaked out hard. <laughs> I, I'll get back into it. I bet. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I bet. If I know me, my history of journaling. <laughs> And sticking to tasks. <laughs> oh, I'm more of a sprinter. <laughs> but yeah, just tr- just as a uh, just as an overall update for future us, for me next time I'm pregnant, we're trying to remember how this went. Um, is it's definitely uh, I'm definitely out of the fun part, the one tiny sliver of fun part of pregnancy, which was sea trim. <laughs> so I call second trimester to save time. Sea though. Se. It sounds better. Say setrim doesn't have a ring to it, you know. Setrim. Sectrum. Sea trim. I'm trying to make it sound like kind of like maybe seal. I feel like you used to call it like trim to two trim or tea trim. Tea trim. Anyway, yeah. Not even most of the second trimester was still throwing up for me, but um, like weeks like 22 to 27 were like I just felt completely like myself. I would like have days where I forgot I was pregnant. Um, it was great. Uh, so I'm definitely out of that and into the zone of like. This is physically weird. It's hard to move around. It kind of hurts all the time. I mean, you know, just you're just dis- a lot of discomfort mm-hmm. happening in general. Nothing too bad, but it's just like it's like hard to put on shoes now. It's I tied your to- shoes for the first time today. Yeah, that was my my concession. I still I'm like trying to do everything for myself still, but it's just like. Hard to get down there. Yeah, it's not it's not a good idea even to try to do it. <laughs> but no no uh no recurrence of terrible symptoms. Some people get nauseous again in the third mm-hmm. trimester. Uh so fortunately that has not happened yet at least. Um and How common is it to get nauseated during the delivery? Is that like a hundred percent or just I, I've heard it's really common like it's kind of like a if you are in labor for a long time and then you start throwing up, it's a sign that you're like progressing. Like it's okay. It's like oh, it's happening now. Is what I've heard. So I guess we'd still have that to look forward to. Right, right. So you might get some more barfing in. <laughs> and we've been really lucky. Like all the reports have been really good. She's she's in position already, um, ready to go. Yeah, everything seems to be kind of. She looks as like, good as possible. She looks like somebody waiting to get shot out of a cannon. Like she, <laughs> she read the one sheet on this. And she's just ready to go. Our little preparer. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, and yeah, yeah. I think we're just kind of look. It's very. We've been using the metaphor between us as a, a move a lot. It's like when you yeah. move. Where you, it's like all positive, Ooh. but like I don't know if you guys heard that, but she just clicked. I'm gonna see if I. Oh, get that recording because my doctor does not believe me that, that, yeah. that that happens. I think what your doctor said is that we wouldn't be able to hear her in the amniotic sac. Yeah. But that doesn't make any sense. Especially if it's like her bone snapping. Like that would be, it's such a... It's a high-pitched noise that you can't really filter out. Right. It's such a high-pitched noise. 
It's such like a strong ending. Did we talk about this in the last podcast about the clicking? I don't know. What was that we should just, so people are like, what are you talking about? Every once in a while, Julia's stomach will make a clicking noise. Now, we believe that this is, because uh, also another thing you should know about babies, if you have a baby, is your baby's joints will click um, or can click. Yeah. So we believe this is happening to Lydia in the womb and that we're hearing it. Julia's doctor said no. Um, another theory about this is that she this... was very immediately dismissive, though. She wasn't like, what is happening? Tell me more. She was just right. like, no, you can't hear anything. Right. And so it's like, I think other people think it might be like round ligaments. Um, like my ligaments, but it's definitely, it's a different place every time. It comes from a different place in my stomach every time. And that place always happens to be the place where she is. And it's right. always accompanied. It's always when I'm still and it's always when she's moving and you can like feel a big movement over on the left side of my stomach and then there's a click coming from exactly that spot. And the whole thing about us not being able to hear inside the amniotic sac doesn't make sense because every book says that she can hear us. So unless I yeah. don't understand how sound works, like it's not like a one-way <laughs> mirror, a, a one-sound mirror. Um, like, so yeah, so I'm pretty sure that's just Lydia's joints. She's just got clicky joints. Yeah. And if you Google it, it's like a relatively common thing. Um, and ev- no one knows for sure what causes it. Um, and everyone's doctors don't believe them about it. <laughs> wait a minute. You don't think it's that time bomb you ate? <laughs> it's more of a, that'd be more of a tick, I guess. Um, okay, yeah, so I have some personal news to report. Tell us. I, at the ripe age of 38, uh... I'm drum rolling with my fingers, you can't see. (laughs) Got my driver's license. Yay! Which is, I I hate driving, I hate the culture of driving, I hate everything cars have done to this, to this planet. Um, yeah, and I don't mean global warming, I mean assholes. People (laughs) becoming out of their minds as soon as they touch the wheel of a car. Um... Up until a week ago, if you asked Seth what he thought about driving, he would go on a long tirade about how that it actually wasn't him. It was just that cars are crazy. And the fact that any of us are driving them means that, like, we're all brainwashed. 30,000 people a year they kill. (laughs) Um, Because, and also it's just like, uh, because people don't want to read a book on the train because they're jerks. It's like, who are you trying to convince here, Seth? (laughs) <laughs> I have been beaten by capitalism and uh, and Americana, I guess, whatever whatever <laughs> other evil forces have lined up behind automobiles. Um, so, but no, but... Slash it, he agreed to do the responsible thing for when he has a child so he can take her to the hospital if he needs. I also could have just died. Um, <laughs> that's another that's another responsible option. No, um, yeah, no, since, since Lydia's on the way, um, I thought it was fine to revisit my very ironclad no driving policy um <laughs> but um and, and you nailed it and I, it also yeah, first try secretly loves driving now i don't secretly love driving. He secretly loves I, it i do like <laughs> the very well-worn quiet path between our apartment and the grocery store is fun and handy for me to go be able to pick things up it is fun and handy because here's the thing though it's like a double austin being bad it's sort of like I think the worst part about moving from New York to Austin is like in New York, it's like if you needed baking soda at four in the morning, you would get it. You Where just like, walk to the corner and then there's the baking soda guy. So Austin's a great major metropolitan area, but like at past 10 here, you do get the feeling that you're just boned. Like that yeah. if you don't have anything, you're done. Um, and so it is nice to be able to just run to the grocery store real quick. And, um, and I finally got to the point where I can listen to music when I drive, and that's nice. Um, so it is nice. It is nice. But I'm still not. <laughs> highways are still just like Mad Max. Um, especially in Austin, everyone's just like. That's true. If you, no, I'm not going to go on my Austin tired. But no, we'll cut it out. Uh, 
if you go if you go in a store like everyone the customers and the clerks are all like matthew mcconaughey they're all like all right all right all right and like just hanging out yeah just taking they got their card out like a 45 degree angle in the middle of the aisle right. and they're 10 feet away from it and nobody is bothered by any of it and you're you are there's only two people in line it's you and the person in front of you and their transaction they're taking buying four things takes 45 minutes while they just talk about water sports or whatever and um and it doesn't bother anyone because everyone's no one's in a rush yeah but then as soon as you get them behind a car they're actively trying to kill you <laughs> oh yeah if you if the speed limit is 65 which it is most places here, and you're going 63, they will just be tailgating you and honking. And <laughs> right, yeah. So that's it's a very, it's the duality of man down here in Austin. And uh, <laughs> so there's been that. Um, but yeah, so it has been kind of an intimidating place to worry about to drive because the drivers are, it's yeah. like, it's not that I'm a bad driver. I am a bad driver. It's that I'm surrounded by worse drivers. <laughs> and um, so that makes it kind of scary. But, um, but yeah, I've driven like seven times of my own volition now, and it has been pleasant. You can't keep um, him out of the car. He loves right. it. And so that's good. I, I don't think there's been any snafus. Um, yeah, any near misses? <laughs> I don't think so. I think, no, it's, it's been going well, but I've been doing some very conservative driving. Um, so I guess my message to you is stay alive long enough and all of your values will erode. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, uh, be open to change because that's the only constant. Stay alive long enough and you'll uh, get new data in that will cause you to have possibly different opinions than the ones that you once very strongly held. <sighs> I'm just realizing that now you're just pointing out that I'm a flip-flopper. Remember? Remember when someone flip-flopping meant that they had to like go to the, wherever the elves go in the end of Lord of the Rings? Um, that you were done. I like it. Uh, yeah, so I'm driving now. That's good. We're going to cut all that out. But... Um, <laughs> No, it's good. Change is good. Do the things that scare you because... Oh, I think this was something we were talking about is like, pay attention to why the thing scares right. you. It's like, right. yeah, it's like, yes, driving is, I mean, objectively... That's exactly All my rationalizations about driving be dangerous and stupid and bad, that was not the reason I wasn't doing it. I was not doing it because I was scared of it. Yeah. And the same thing that's like, I uh, have become scared of flying in my in my old age. It's like, it's perfectly fine to avoid flying uh it's like just playing your life around not having to fly but if the reason is just because of irrational fear then like you can't let that keep you from right. doing things you want to do with your life right and it starts you know it's like if you can do kind of like if you can get there yourself that's good otherwise it's maybe it's time to start talking to people you know and getting yeah. some feedback from people in your life or maybe a health professional because that kind of fear that locks you up and keeps you from doing something you want to do, which Make, just makes your world smaller yeah. and smaller. And it's not that I want to drive, but I do want to not be a drag for my, I want to be like, not like, sorry, I can't get diapers in under 40 minutes, you know? Uh, <laughs> or yeah, like when, when our kid is like seven and needs to go to soccer practice, uh, you know, like you don't want to be like, oh, well, mom has to take you every single time because I just didn't feel like ever driving. I can't do soccer. We talked about it. <laughs> Okay. I can do soccer practice. If it's Wednesdays, I can do it. Uh, <laughs> I'm free Wednesdays. I decided in the future, I'm doing shit Wednesdays. <laughs> Next decade is wide open. Yeah. It's like, I'm just wearing a t-shirt that says like, hump day will hump me because I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> Except for taking Lydia to soccer practice. That's the back of the t-shirt. <laughs> People will be like, why is he outside? And then they, 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 they see me walk by. I'm like, oh, makes sense. Um, so he has a big bag of orange slices. Um, just noting, uh, like, don't let irrational fears stop you from doing things like flying in a plane 
is objectively the safest mode of travel. So being afraid of it. Oh, it's smart. Is not is just in my head. There's no there's no actual physical danger. But like, <laughs> like I think there's, there's definitely a difference. Like, definitely don't do things that are actually like, like dangerous. Physically dangerous. Or if you yeah, if you have a plausible like, reason to fear for your safety, that's fine. Yeah. If but then again, I mean, I'm I'm looking at you driving. Uh, if that's yeah, I mean yeah, that's more dangerous than flying. But yeah, but like I think that there are ways that a reasonable adult adult can mitigate real risks while driving. Right. So um, yeah, so it's like definitely still uh, we support being cautious in the face of rational fears and dangers, but mm-hmm. just just not the ones where it's like a phobia. Yeah, whereas I say. Go for it. <laughs> Listen, like, cause, yeah, I think and that is, uh, you raise an interesting point, because that is the tricky thing with fear. It's hard to know and it's hard to distinguish between fears that you need to listen to that are healthy and the fears that aren't. And phobias are really good at making themselves. Disguising themselves. Sound really real. It's the same way, like, I always, like, um, I should plug the news. If you're listening to this far in the podcast, you should for sure subscribe <laughs> to my newsletter. But talking about the yeah, where do they? How would they? You go to I think it's just sethfried.substack, or you go to my Instagram, Seth underscore Freed F R I E D, and it'll be a, the link in the bio. You can subscribe to it. But talking about being in a draft where it's like your brain is very good at trying to get you to stop, and it says a lot of believable things about your ability to write to try to get you to stop. And I think it's kind of good to press on things and be curious about your own fears and kind of interrogate them to make sure that they're working for you and not, um, not, uh, short, short circuiting your abilities and your ambitions. Yeah. Not, not a way that your brain is trying to trick you out of doing the things that you know are important, uh, in your life. But no, I think that's a really good distinction that, um, yeah, yeah we're not it. saying that, yeah, it's sort of like, um, yeah, well, you know, I'm scared of this man in a clown costume waving me into this abandoned building. But, <laughs> but I Mio. can't let fear rule my life. <laughs> Just roll up your sleeves, <laughs> march in there. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we're, uh, we're not letting irrational fears uh, keep us from doing things that we want to do with our lives. Right, right. Just letting laziness keep it. <laughs> right, right. As long as it's laziness, that's fine. If you're just, yeah. Uh, well, and it's also, I keep trying to remind you, you're not lazy. You're like eight months pregnant. But I'm, I I watched Real Housewives for like five hours today. Like that's arguably laziness. I'm not saying you couldn't be consuming better content. <laughs> I say you being on a couch is probably medically good. No, I say exercise is really good for you when you're pregnant. Oh, you go for walks. I, I seem to it. Um... But yeah, so you're doing great. You've got a brave little astronaut here giving birth to a human, another little astronaut. Some kind of reverse docking sequence. <laughs> it's like when they refuel a plane in midair. <laughs> yeah, I got so stuck on astronauts. Thing. I don't know. Right, who brought, why did you bring up astronauts? <laughs> anyway, so this is a good one. A perfect storm, everybody. Um, oh, but also just some, this arguably, maybe we should punch this in at the beginning. I think I meant to start with this. Meant to be like, do the introduction do the super brief summary of like we watched the perfect storm it's about people who get caught in a storm and then do the like but let's talk about our lives for mm-hmm. a second um so this is what i was I'm, i think we should do it but i'm i'm just gonna keep everything in place because <laughs> the amount of punching in i like just I, i'm i'm taking so much pleasure in kind of holding it in my head <laughs> where do you think the, the modules of the show could go i don't want to rob someone of that experience of them also getting to be like this would have gone here 
But yeah, you yeah. punched it. Everyone imagine in your heads that this happened at the beginning. So we did we did the introduction. Uh, Ooh, yeah. And then we do the the brief, brief summary. And then before we get into the first act. We should write this down on a little piece of paper. Like next podcast. Why wouldn't we should be recording it? But, <laughs> it's it's right but I mean that order of events sounds so good. We could look at the piece of paper and then do oh, that. Before, and then go, hey, that's smart. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. Smart. that's probably what real podcasts yeah. do. <laughs> so, okay, so so Introduction, super brief summary of what movie we're going to talk about, and then a little uh, a little uh, aside about what we're doing right now, what our lives are right now, which is that it is currently December 31st. Happy New Year! Happy New Year's! It's Happy New Year's? Well, was it Groundhog Day? It's Groundhog It's Groundhog Day. Wait, which one? What's the name of the movie? Let me check. Groundhog? Groundhog Day? Groundhog's Day? Anyway, it's New Year's Eve. It's Attorney Hogs. I think you could say Happy New Year tomorrow. I see. You know. Oh, I said, oh God, man, I said Happy New Year to the clerk at the grocery store. Like a Happy New Year. Well, but I think, and then I think people say Happy New Year's as like a shortened version of Happy New Year's Eve, you know? I gotcha. It's Groundhog Day. It is Groundhog Day. There's just the one Groundhog. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what were you saying? Uh, so, uh, anyway, it's uh, the last day of 2021, which is right. exciting. Happy Happy New Year's Eve, everybody. Right. It's like we started this as a COVID podcast. Yeah, in maybe March 2020, maybe April. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pr- I feel like it was pretty, pretty still, immediate. <laughs> still a COVID podcast. Yep. So, um, we're going into year three? Year... I mean, yeah, the third calendar year. Third calendar. Year. I think we haven't hit forty-eight months yet, though. Right. No, you're right. You're right. Right. Or so, twenty-four. I mean, we're gonna describe. We're entering what I would describe the third round. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's. Um, we're gonna keep this going. It's gonna be as sporadic. You know, something we did just while we were, we used yeah. to read the jacket copy of the movie. I almost did for this, which I it's hard to find because it's like the. The copy on the back of the DVD is like what I would. Right, try you, you got to do is you got to go on eBay. Oh yeah, and fi- see the picture it's, on it. It's uh, the this Google summary copy is different from like the Wikipedia summary copy. Right, right. And then you start getting. Oh, I'm already getting sad about DVD copy going away. Right. How will we know? Right. It's just going to be those weird, dumb internet sentences that are like that make no sense. Um. I guess I just described the internet. But, but yeah. Also, if you hear any um, shotgun noises in the background, it is because we are in Texas and they light off fireworks for every holiday. every single holiday. Yeah. So, like, including we found out this year, Christmas Eve. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like at midnight on between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, whole bunch of fireworks. Which is luckily, I think I don't know if babies are as sensitive to sounds as dogs, but dog owners <laughs> around here are really like furious about the fireworks. Yeah. So there's just been fireworks ever since it got dark out today. There's been fireworks, fireworks, sporadically going off the whole time, and I imagine there'll be a bunch happen at midnight. Right, that's right. Um, well, yeah, here's a good, interesting question: Do we in the Central Time Zone celebrate the New Year's an hour later, or do we? What do you mean? Like, are we going by Eastern time because it's like no. do, when the everyone goes by their own time? <laughs> but are we just having our separate New Year's party an hour later? Like I guess if you were if you were tuning into like an East Coast yeah, show, yeah, like Dick Clark's mean? Rockin' New Year's Eve. Yeah, unless they like 
delay the feed so it's not live on other time zones. But I, yeah, I would think I would think it's just it just really accentuates being in the central time zone. Just accentuates what a fiction time is <laughs> in a way that I don't find pleasant. But yeah, I'm I would think that like everyone celebrates New Year's at their time zone at midnight because that's when New Year's is for them. I don't agree with that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Let's get the whole let's get right. the whole world on Eastern time. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's I don't know. It feels like it should be the New York one. But then again, it's just like I guess that would be weird for like London. Or like what do they do? I'm sure LA has like some version of Dick Clark. Right. I guess I'm really just showing my New York colors. Like I'm just like a right? very big New York Yankees fan. <laughs> I like the New York Rockets, their <laughs> hockey team. Your little ivory tower bubble that you live in. Right? <laughs> such a Chandler, such a Monica. <laughs> um, so yeah, new, go New York Giant Rockets. Rangers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Wait, so okay, so let me do this. I'm not a sports guy. This is going to be like me naming all the capitals <laughs> in Europe. Um, new York Rangers is their hockey team. The Giants is their football team, right? That sounds right. The, the Jets? Who are the Jets? Is that a football team? Baseball? No, that's the Mets and the Yankees. Is the New York Jets? Is that a thing? It's definitely a thing. Is it hockey? Hockey. What are the Rangers? Is there two... Shoot. Wait, no hand. Oh, it's football. Wait. It's so the New York Jets and the New York Giants. Oh, okay. Um, And then there is the Brooklyn Nets. Is our basketball team. Right? Yes, there's also another basketball team. Oh, yeah, the New York Giants. That's the Giants. No, that's the football team. There's another basketball team that Knicks. starts with New York. Yes. The New York Knicks. God, I really am, gen <laughs> like, no one can listen to that audio and know that I don't <laughs> know anything about sports. Oh, I'm sure every person who knows about sports is, uh, like, their head would explode <laughs> listening to that last part. It's just like, I hope that they're invigorated, that there's someone who knows so little. <laughs> um, that's, look how smart you are. Good for you. You learned all those names. <laughs> Good for you. Look who made a big knowledge boom boom in the sports toilet. I'm pregnant for fatherhood. My own. Uh, New Jersey Devils. Let's just go through the whole country. Is that the thing? That's, yeah, well, the New Jersey Devils is a true cryptid. What? What? A cryptid? It's like a, <laughs> it's like a chupacabra. Like it's like a fake animal that people pretend to have sightings for. I don't pretend like they convince themselves. I think. Wait. So wait, it's wait. a sports mascot. We've taken like three hard right turns. <laughs> I believe this is a sports mascot. I don't know what the sport is. I'm gonna say hockey too. The New Jersey Devils. Oh, so you're saying? But you're. Saying, I think it is hockey, which I know from a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> so you're saying the cryptid part of it is the, the animal that the mascot is and not the fact that the mascot exists or that that team exists the team exists and that's a mascot there's also a cryptid called the new jersey temple that i think the team is named after oh okay okay so but, it would be like saying like the maryland chupacabras right right which guys if you're if you're taking notes that would be a pretty good team name here's the good one here's my favorite one the utah jazz oh god yeah that's, that's orlando not... orlando magic that's not, um, I think the, um, Washington Wizards. Right. I think. It's like, that's not, the connotations aren't that of a sports franchise. Right. A wizard is like someone who gets, is concentrating on something and then for comedic relief he is knocked over before he accomplishes it. 
that's not what you want, you know, like a... That's what a wizard is to you? <laughs> in a sports context, I see a, sp- a wizard just focusing on a, like a spell and then like he gets like an elbow <laughs> from somebody, you know, that's... Like, he just like eat like slapstick comedy so permeates your every view of the world. <laughs> I think in a sports... Most co- people would be like, you know, a guy with a wand I should like, be... wait, makes spells. <laughs> I should be clear, transposing a wizard to a sports context, that's what I see <laughs> to happen. It's like some guy in flowing robes who gets like knocked over and then you see he's got real skinny legs. Once his robe gets up. And then um, sort of sports context. In like a sword and sorcery context. Now. Now. now the, the, we're both just shaking our fingers <laughs> at the microphone. Now the wand's in the other hand, my friend. <laughs> now you gotta watch your, watch your step. Um, so we got Saruman. We got, <laughs> we got Harry Potter. Yeah, you got Gandalf. Gandalf the Grey. You got Gandalf the White. Um Anyway, I'm just, I'm just naming franchises. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, sports names are tough. We get I it. I think this is it. I think we did yeah, it. Yeah, I think we're done. <laughs> perfect storm. This was the perfect storm of sports and wizards. <laughs> and New Year's Eve. And driving and babies. Baby driver. We should have done baby driver. <laughs> that way. Because I'm the youngest in my family and my brother still, even though I'm like in my late 30s, calls me baby. Yeah. We should maybe do baby driver. Baby Driver. It'd be a fun one to talk about because we're I'm a huge Edgar Wright nut, but uh, we've only seen it once, and it was uh, immediately after we got off of a international flight, and it was at like two in the morning. (laughs) That's a fun. That was coming back from our honeymoon. We were watching Hot Fuzz on the plane because that's like my favorite. That's our favorite movie, really, and we watch it like once a month. Um, And I was like, you know what we should do? And I was also movies come out later in Europe, so on our honeymoon, I was like googling movie theaters in Europe, (laughs) seeing if anyone was playing Baby Driver. Um, So on the way back, I was like, do you know what would be fun? And I don't know why you, to this day, why you did it. We got back in the airport, dropped off our luggage. I love uh, the, like, we could technically make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And then we walked to, like, Union Square and watched it, and it's like, I loved it, but I was like, I got very strong, like, you just kind of learn your, like, when you sleep (laughs) next to someone, uh, you... Like every day, you could read their body like tea leaves, and I just got like forty minutes in that your brain had ceased functioning. <laughs> you were just, yeah. and I was like, "This is maybe not okay thing to do to your wife after a very pleasant but um very flyy honeymoon." Yeah, it was a long. I think we had like two different legs. Like we had to fly from Rome to London, and then London to New York. Right, and. But to be fair, she gave it another chance. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think you've actually seen it. I just want to point out that on an international flight, it's actually more challenging for me because I'm spending the entire eight hours actively not farting. <laughs> <laughs> the not idea- me. <laughs> yeah, you're just like going nuts. But you're just the uh, you're just like fumigating the cockpit, setting, settling in. <laughs> no, you can fall asleep. You can sleep like a uh, like a gun going off. Yeah, I can sleep anywhere. Yeah, but I'm just like worried about farting and. <laughs> Uh, and being thrown off the plane because of my fart. Just my one little fart. Anyway, on that note, I drive now. I'm a driver. We'll do Baby Driver next time. Yeah, maybe. that would have been a good thematic one. Or so. I think we had another one. Eyes Wide Shut? I want to do Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, I want to do that too. Cause just I think us, that's going to be terrible. The awkwardness of us talking about a horny movie is going to be so fun. It's going to be, I'm going to hate it. Yeah. I'll get into my one of my weird jags where I defend Tom Cruise a lot. Oh, that's right. Oh, this is going to be perfect. I don't know what it's about. Um, so anyway, I think that's it. Um, you, Yeah. What? Happy happy 2021, everybody. This will be, it will be 2022 already by the time this gets posted. So we will see you in the future. And as always, I love you guys. Mm-hmm.